0: So I'm going to encourage you to pin your ears back, listen, okay? If, you, if you're not in the habit of taking notes, I want to encourage you, uh, maybe it's too late now because you haven't come prepared, but you've got your phones, you can make notes on your phones. I would encourage you to think about what you hear and make notes afterwards. See what I did there? I tricked you. You thought I was going to tell you to make notes as you are listening. But the art of making notes is really, if you try and make notes when you're listening to somebody, you miss the thing that is being said while you're writing the thing that you just heard, okay? Or is it just me? It's <laughs> just me. The art of making notes is to, to listen well, to really listen, and then make mental notes for yourself as you're going through, and then write them down afterwards, Write them down afterwards. Before you skip in there and get a coffee, write your thoughts down. Write down one thought that captivates you out of what whoever speaking is saying because that will be the most important thing that you hear out of what is said. And Holy Spirit will uh, alight on that for you. all right? And you'll be able to build from that thought, all those thoughts. But don't just write a list of the things that have been said. Capture your thoughts out of what are, what is stirred for you by the person who's speaking. Okay? A little lesson to help you be better as a disciple. Okay? Here you go, bud.
1: Thank you very much, Bill. Good morning, everyone. Uh, that was brilliant, wasn't it, what we just did? Um, I w- it was different, yeah. I, I just wanted to say I want to get rid of this idea, in case anyone does have this idea in their heads, um, that we haven't worshipped this morning. Because, uh, for me, I love sung worship. Um, I'd never want to do away with that. But uh, it's great to explore other ways that we can join together and worship and a way like that, which was still so, uh, so interactive, so many people involved. So, uh, yeah, I know Caitlin's had to disappear, but I just want to put on the record my, uh, my thanks and appreciation for her. So, uh, you can pass that on, Joe. But well, that was really good. But um, yeah, Bill asked me to speak this morning and um, he said to me, Dan, this Sunday is Pentecost Sunday and I want you to speak, but I don't necessarily want you to bring the traditional Pentecost Sunday message. He said, instead, what I want you to do is I want you to do what you do every other time you speak. I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you something and I just want you to bring whatever it is that he gives you. And if that is If that happens to be a traditional Pentecost Sunday type message, then that's fine. And if it's something totally different, then that's great. And you know, that is actually one of the most Pentecostal things that we can do, that uh, as the Holy Spirit has has filled us and come and lived with us, that we don't then go on a tangent and do our own thing, but actually we allow him to speak to us, we listen to him, we try to be obedient to him, and uh, we should allow him to guide us and direct us in, in all aspects of our lives from the the big moments to the smaller details and so uh, the great traditionalist within me would have still gone on to speak from Acts chapter 2 this morning and maybe talked about how the the fire of Pentecost is going to come once again but um, I'm not going to do that this morning I resisted that urge and uh, I'm going to bring something uh, a little bit different today And in a moment, we're going to turn to the scriptures together and we're going to read from Acts chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there just in readiness. But before we read from that, I want to uh, share with you something that happened to me this week, and I think it'll set us up a little bit for where I want to go. So on Tuesday this week, we had um, a New Wine Cymru Leaders' Day here. And for those of you who perhaps don't know what that is, New Wine Cymru is uh, an organization which seeks to support and equip church leaders across Wales. And uh, Bill and Ellen um, head up the South Wales Network. And so every so often we'll have a new Wynch Leadership Day here where church leaders from South Wales will come and gather and we'll hear someone speak and we'll be able to chat and network and encourage one another. And uh, they're always really great times. And this week we had Julian Richards speaking with us. Some of you might remember Julian came and spoke a, a number of weeks ago here At our Sunday service, and he was with us on Tuesday, and he got up to speak. But before he shared his message, he, along with his uh, son Matt and his daughter Chloe, just shared some words with us that they had for people who they felt were in need of healing. They'd asked the Holy Spirit in advance to just reveal some things to them—some some some illnesses or some places where people had um, pain—so that they could pray for people um, that they would receive healing. And so they started off and they were kind of reeling out this list of things that um, the Holy Spirit had given to them. And so they said, you know, uh, Julian and then his daughter Chloe were saying, "Oh, you know, I think someone's got a bad back, uh, someone's got a, a bad shoulder or a bad neck, someone's got a, a headache, stuff like that. And, um, and by the way, I do actually have um, a diagnosed health condition. You probably don't know about this. It's not very serious compared to the health battles that Many people face, but it is something which is quite painful, but it flares up, and I actually have osteoarthritis in my big toe of all places, and it 's not very serious, but it does get painful. sometimes I have to take pain relief for it when it gets bad, but it 's just a pain that comes and goes uh, and They started to go through this list of things, and i 'm going to expose myself now for my skepticism because I sat there and i thought you know what these these things are no good for me because they always the, th- the trouble with this sort of thing is they always go for the obvious things you know they always say the bad back the headache you know the bad knee nobody ever says the big toe <laughs> i have never heard anyone say the big toe it just doesn't happen this is it's no good for me it's it, it's a waste of time right? that's my my negativity in my head that's the conversation that i had literally a few seconds after i thought that Julian turns to his son, and he says, Oh, um, did you have anything, Matt? And uh, Matt pauses. He stutters, and he looks a little bit confused. He goes, um, Yeah, actually, um, I think I had the big toe. <laughs> yeah, someone's got pain or some kind of issue in their big toe. And he almost looked like a, a little bit embarrassed, because it seemed so random, I guess. Uh, and I thought, Oh, my goodness, he said the big toe. No one ever says the big toe. <laughs> never. And so uh, they got through the end of the list and then they invited people around the room to stand if any of that applied to them. And you know, even after what had just happened, the conversation that I'd had in my head and then Matt Say in the big toe. But you know, our minds are incredible things or maybe it's just my skeptical mind. I don't know. But I still really didn't stand up. Because I thought to myself, no, he can't have said, no one says the big, he can't have said the big toe. You must have imagined, or maybe you wanted him to say it, and that's what you heard. And so everyone stood up, and I, and I sat there, and I there. Oh, no, I don't think I'm going to stand. And uh, I debated it for about five or ten seconds in my head. And then I got over myself, and I too stood up. And uh, Julian led us in a prayer, it was such a simple prayer. And it just said, uh, Lord Jesus, please heal me now. That was it. Nobody laid hands on me. And I repeated that two or three times. Lord Jesus, please heal me now. And then Julian just prayed sort of um, for us all collectively. And he started commanding pain to leave. And I don't remember hearing this, but apparently he did actually at one point uh, pray specifically into arthritis. And he spoke that arthritis would leave people. And uh, anyway, he got to the end of his prayer and I sat down and I didn't say anything to anyone because, as I said, it's like a pain that comes and goes. It wasn't really something I could easily test out. But I went home that afternoon and Bobby's already laughing. <laughs> I went home that afternoon. And I took my shoes off straight away. And even on days where I'm not in any pain and it's, it's perfect, if I start to feel around with my thumb, I can always find the spot um, where the pain is. And I say, oh, yeah, that, that's where it is. And I was prodding away. And I told Bobby what had happened and that I'd prayed. And I said, I can't feel any pain. I, th- I think I'm healed. And uh, But I, I couldn't just leave it at that. I spent probably the next 20 minutes trying to find the pain. Bobby was laughing her head off. I then ended up sort of prancing around our kitchen, stamping my foot into the floor. I was determined to find pain. Um, but I couldn't find any pain. And five days on, I still haven't got any pain. So uh, I, I'm re- I'm, I'm being reserved in saying it's a healing because it is a pain that comes and goes. Uh, but it seems like a healing. So, um, but it just made me laugh, my skepticism in all that. And so um, with that in mind, with my skepticism in mind, in a moment we're going to read from Acts chapter 12. Now this situation, I'll admit, is a little bit more serious than my big toe, Okay. But um, nevertheless, my focus this morning is on prayer. And um, we're actually going to see a little bit or quite a bit of skepticism from some members of the early church in this story. But what's incredible is that despite their skepticism, despite their lack of faith, there was still an answer to their prayer. And so we're going to take a look at that. We'll unpack it in a little bit, and then we'll finish just by looking at the type of prayer that they prayed and how that might relate to us. So that is where we go in this morning. And we're reading about a time where the message of the gospel was spreading at uh, and advancing at quite a speed. The believers had been commissioned to be witnesses for Jesus to the very ends of the earth. They'd then been filled with the Holy Spirit. They'd been empowered to fulfill that task. But as they went about carrying out God's mission, they faced opposition. And at times, actually, they faced some really, really horrendous persecution. So we're going to read now from Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It says it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind. They told her, but when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, well, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. What a crazy time this must have been to be a follower of Jesus. The church was facing horrendous Persecution. James, the brother of John, had been taken and killed, and the Jews loved it. The Jews said, Yeah, go on, kill those blaspheming Jesus followers. They're a nuisance. They are preaching that Jesus was the Son of God and that he rose from the dead, and they're performing miracles. They're causing uproar, sort them out. And then because the Jews reacted so positively to the killing of James, Herod seized Peter too. And whilst Peter was imprisoned and bound with chains, the believers gathered in the house of Mary, the mother of John, And by the way, it's believed that uh, the House of Mary became like the headquarters for the early church. And a lot of uh, the key events that we read in the book of Acts actually happened there. But the believers gathered there to pray for Peter's release. And you know, something of their prayer clearly moved the heart of God. And an angel was sent to rescue Peter. Peter escaped from the prison with the help of the angel and he headed straight for Mary's house I suppose he knew that that was the common meeting place and so he took a good guess that that's where he might find everyone but they're in the house they're praying for God to miraculously intervene and bring about Peter's release and suddenly there's a knock at the door The servant Rhoda goes to answer it. And we're told that she recognises Peter's voice before she's even answered the door. He must have been shouting, hello, only me, Peter, open up. And we're told that she was so excited when she recognised Peter's voice that you know rather than open the door for him rather than do what I think most of us would do you know open the door invite him in Peter you okay do you need to sit down do you need something to eat or drink are you injured in any way now she just (laughs) runs off to the others and she rushes in and she goes guys Peter's at the door you what yeah Peter he's at the door he's knocking and in verse 15, they told her, no, no way. You are out of your mind. This girl's gone crazy. She thinks Peter's at the door. Peter's in prison. There's no way he could have escaped. But, but when she insisted that it was him, they said, well, I don't know. It must be his angel. It must be his angel. What on earth are they on about? They have all gathered in this house for the specific purpose of praying for their friend Peter who had been imprisoned for his faith. James has already been killed and it looks as though Peter's fate is heading in a similar direction. But they're praying to God, they're contesting in the spiritual realm for Peter's release. And, you know, actually, that's a really important point because they recognize that this was a spiritual matter. Peter wasn't imprisoned for burglary. He wasn't imprisoned for murder. He was imprisoned because of his faith in Jesus and his determination to preach the gospel. This was a spiritual attack. And we know that spiritual attacks always require a spiritual response. It was because of their faith that he was imprisoned. And they were hoping that it would be their faith and their prayers that would see him rescued. But you know, imagine being in the church at this time. Imagine you've all gathered together. You're praying for his release. Then as you're there still praying, Peter comes along and knocks on the door. And you don't even believe that it's him. You think it's a ghost or you think it's his guardian angel that has appeared. It does make you wonder why they were even praying in the first place. Because they clearly weren't very hopeful that they were going to have any kind of answer to their prayer. Sounds familiar. So they argue with the servant. Telling her that she's insane. And the whole time they're debating this, Peter still stood outside knocking on the door. And verse 16 tells us that when they eventually opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They couldn't believe that their prayers had been answered. God had proved himself to be faithful. He'd heard their prayers. He'd heard their cries. Their prayers had moved him to action. And the result... Was that Peter was miraculously released from the chains that held him and he escaped from the prison? As I looked at this, I asked myself, did the believers have or demonstrate faith in that situation? Did they have any faith? Did they, was there any faith on demonstration in this scenario? And well, the answer is, I think, that they must have had at least a little bit of faith because they decided to gather and pray. But clearly, they didn't have very much faith because they actually weren't really expecting their prayer to be answered. Because when Peter showed up at the door, they couldn't even believe that it was really him. And you know, it struck me. They had hardly any faith. But they did have a little bit of faith. And the good news is that the Bible tells us that even faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. Did I have very much faith when I stood up for prayer for healing on Tuesday? Well, to be honest, no, I don't think I did. This is something that I had prayed for a couple of times in the past and nothing had happened. I almost didn't even stand up for prayer. I didn't have a lot of faith but I must have had a little bit of faith or I wouldn't have stood. I must have had a little bit of faith or I wouldn't have prayed. I stood up in that moment. I prayed a very simple prayer. And despite my lack of faith, God took the little bit of faith that I did have and he decided to act on that. And he touched me. It's a little bit like the the father of the boy who was demon-possessed. Who said to Jesus, Lord, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now, for a long time, that, that didn't make any sense to me. But, you know, I think I'm starting to get it now. He's saying, I do believe. I do have faith. But at the same time that I have some faith, I also have some doubts. My faith and my doubts are battling one another. I have faith, but I have struggles. I have faith, but I have unbelief. I believe, but Lord Jesus, please help me to overcome my unbelief. You know, I think what we read in Acts chapter 12 totally abandons this idea, this theory that we have, that we have to be full of faith in order for our prayers to be answered. Because I know that some people get told that, Some people have prayed and prayed and prayed. And it didn't seem as though the prayer was answered. Now, of course, it's entirely possible that the prayer was answered and it just wasn't answered in the way that they wanted it to be. But, you know, sometimes there can be this perceived unanswered prayer. And someone's come along and they've said, ah, if only you had more faith, your prayer would have been answered. If you'd truly believed, God would have answered that prayer. But because of your lack of faith, your situation has remained the same. And listen, having faith and trust and confidence in God is important. I think of the words of Jesus when he said to the man who had been healed of leprosy, Go, your faith has made you well. So faith is, of course, important. God does respond to our faith. But scripture also shows us in plenty of places and in plenty of different ways that even a little bit of faith can be enough to move mountains. Even a little bit of faith was enough to see Peter released from prison. And so I want to encourage some of you today in your prayer life to use the little bit of faith that you do have to take that faith and to use it to cast your cares and your doubts and your worries onto Jesus and wait patiently in hope and in anticipation for him to come through for you you might not have lots of faith but even if you just have a little bit of faith God can work with that So that was really the first thing I wanted to highlight. And then the second thing, and actually the final thing that struck me from this passage of Scripture, is really important, and it relates to us, it relates to our mission, and it strikes at the very heart of what it means to be the people of God. And it's this, the prayer of the church in Acts chapter 12 was a prayer of rescue it was a prayer of rescue with the tiny bit of faith that they had they prayed for peter's release they they prayed for peter's rescue they prayed that he would be rescued from the place of imprisonment they prayed that he would be rescued from the chains that bound him that he would be rescued from those who locked him up that He would be rescued from those who wanted to kill him. That he would be rescued from the religious people who were encouraging all of this. It was a prayer of rescue. And you know, as the church of Jesus, as the body of Christ on this earth, we need to be praying prayers of rescue over people's lives and over our community. In our community, there are thousands of people who are metaphorically imprisoned. There are people who are metaphorically bound in chains. There are people who are trapped in a variety of situations. Some are held captive by chains of poverty, chains of addiction, chains of trauma, chains of abuse, chains of mental health challenges. Chains of loneliness. Chains of illness. And these people need rescuing. The town of Llenetli has a population, the town itself, of over 25,000 people. And the majority of those people are in spiritual darkness. As they live a life that is far away from God. They need Rescuing. They need to be introduced to Jesus and shown that they can have a relationship with him. We need to be praying for the lost, the broken, the hurting, the confused, the lonely. We need to be praying for their rescue. You know, I saw this week as I read this passage, I saw that imagery of the church coming together to pray for Peter who had been unjustly prisoned. And it inspires me to want to be a part of a faith community that does the same thing. And of course we know that there is a lot more to it than prayer. The church is called to action. We don't just pray a little prayer and then leave it to God to take care of the rest. He's called us to act. And so we pray and work and pray and work and pray and work. Until we see the labors of our prayer and the labors, uh, the, the result of our prayer and the results of our labor. Prayer alone isn't going to change it. And that's certainly not what we model here at this church, is it? You all know the work that goes on here in this place to reach the lost, to reach the broken, to reach those who are trapped by poverty and loneliness and a whole host of other issues we don't just pray for the hungry but we take a hold of the responsibility and we feed them we don't just pray for those who are hurting but we comfort them we don't just pray for those who are lonely but we befriend them we don't just pray for those who don't yet know jesus but we reach out to them We share his love with them. And actually sometimes we need to open our mouths and talk about him to them. We are called to action. We're not called to shirk our responsibility in this. And that's not what I'm trying to say this morning. We've spoken lots in the last few months about that. We've spoken about our need to be a good witness. We've spoken about how we need to invest our time and our talents and our gifts for the sake of the kingdom of God, we've learned a little bit about the brilliant community initiatives that go on in this place and how we can get involved and play our part. But what I've come to say this morning is that we must never forget the role of prayer in all of this. As I was preparing my message for this morning, I had a flick through a book that I have by David Peters called How to Pray. And in that book, David has a whole chapter which is titled, Your Prayers Can Help Save the Lost. Isn't that incredible? Did you know that? Your prayers today can help save the lost. He quotes in the chapter from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. I'm not going to read those verses for you now. But in those verses, Paul tells us that if we want to please God, then we need to make it our priority to pray especially for two groups of people. Firstly, we need to pray for leaders in order that they will govern society well. And secondly, it says in those verses we need to pray for lost souls because God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to be rescued. I'm just going to read a couple of little excerpts from the chapter in that book, and then I'm going to wrap this up. But David Peters says in the book, Jesus commanded his followers to tell people everywhere about him. God loves lost people, and there are over 5.5 billion of them on planet Earth. The Father wants us to be concerned for this lost world. And whilst we can't be responsible for the entire world, we can be responsible for those we are close to. Family, extended family, friends, close neighbours, workmates and so on. But this is not enough. Something more is needed and that something is prayer. The Bible tells us the reason why. It says that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And prayer is the only way to defeat this spiritual blindness. When we pray for lost people, it allows the Holy Spirit to work in their lives and bring them to Christ. When Jesus saved the Apostle Paul, he commissioned him with this task. I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and will be given a place among God's people who are set apart in me, and then in this little bit, David just finishes by pointing out that Paul's strategy to bring people to Jesus primarily involved three things. The first thing was proclamation, which is telling them the good news, the second is demonstration, showing them the good news by the way we live and by supernatural signs and wonders. And actually, I would put a lot of what we do into that category. It's a demonstration. It's not just telling them with our words about the good news, but our actions suggest that we're not interested. But we show them the good news. We tell them, we show them. And the third one was intercession, which is praying that they will receive the good news. Because we can tell them, we can show them, But whether they receive it or not is up to them. But you know sometimes if they have become spiritually blinded to the good news of Jesus. then remember what I said earlier a few moments ago. Spiritual matters always provoke and require a spiritual response. And so we pray and we intercede. And so as I wrap this up I wonder... Who are you going to pray for? Who are you going to commit to praying and interceding for? Are there individuals, are there families that you know who you want to commit to praying for on a regular basis? I'm not just talking about today driving home and then we forget about it. But we pray and we pray on a regular basis. That they'll be awakened That they'll break free from the chains that are holding them. That they'll come to have a relationship with Jesus. What about as you look at the community, our community of Llanelli. Or our nation. Or other nations around the world. Are there areas that you want to pray and intercede into? Perhaps it's areas where there is inequality Areas where people are bound or locked up in some way, where people are trapped in situations with little hope of escaping. Maybe it's for those in our community who are stuck in addiction. Maybe it's those who are experiencing abuse, and it could be a a whole range of other things. In what ways are people trapped, metaphorically speaking, in our community? And could your prayers and my prayers, combined with hard work, bring about a miraculous intervention from heaven which causes them to break free? Isn't that a brilliant dream? My challenge for us all is this, that you will take the faith that you have. Don't worry about the faith that you don't have. Take what you have. And use that faith and invest it. Invest it into prayer. Invest it into intercession. Combined with work. Combined with action. Like the church praying and interceding for Peter. Who was wrongly and unjustly imprisoned. And was unable to escape by himself. Maybe we can pray for those who are chained and imprisoned in whatever form in our lives and in our community. Because when we pray, miracles happen. When we pray, those prison doors are flung open. When we pray, chains can break loose. When we, chain, when we pray, broken relationships are restored. When we pray, illnesses can be healed. The Bible tells us the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective so let's get praying church don't forget your responsibility please, don't forget the work that's involved but don't forget to pray either and after saying all that I better not hand over before I pray (laughs) yeah heavenly father I thank you so much for your word thank you for what you've downloaded into me this week And I've tried as best as I can to faithfully share what I feel that you've revealed to me. But Father, I ask that you would continue to speak to each and every one of us. The good bits of what I said, may they remember it. The not-so-good bits, may, may they forget that, but may you speak to them. May you speak to me. May we hear from you. Father, as we look at our own lives our families, our friends, the situations that we or others are facing, as we look into the wider community, as we look at the country and other nations around the world, you know, we can get so caught up in the negativity. We can feel as though there's little hope. But Father, I thank you that the answer to all of life's problems, all of the world's problems is found in your word and in you alone. We know that you have the answer. We know that you are the answer. And so I ask that you would help us to reach those in our lives, in our community, who are in need of you. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would stir us, that you would remind us of this moment where we've committed to pray. We've committed to intercede. Lord Jesus, we need you. It feels like now more than ever, we need you to move in our community. I think of those who are caught in addiction. I think of those who are caught in abuse. I think of those who who can't put food on the table because they can't break off and out of the chains of poverty. So much that we see goes on, so much trouble, and we can feel so, so insignificant to help, so small. But we know that we're never insignificant when we work with you, when we partner with you, we are more than conquerors. And so as we work and as we pray and as we lift up in our prayer those who who don't have the ability to lift themselves, would you come through? Would you break those chains? Would you fling open those prison doors? May we have incredible stories that sound awfully similar to what happened with Peter and the early church in Acts chapter 12 where the church has been praying prayers of rescue over individuals, over families, over communities. Would you help us, Father? Would you help us not to have our eyes closed as we often come and walk around oblivious to the problems that are right before us? But would you wake us up, myself included? Lord, wake me up. That my heart may be moved to prayer and to action. In Jesus' name, amen.